survival, but I wanted to tell a little story of somebody who actually touched my heart, and I thought that it would be interesting to share because I I guess there's a good moral to the story, and somebody out there needs to hear it, so I'm going to tell it. Back in my early 20s, um, and I wasn't even 21 yet, but I used to work as a shift manager for 7-Eleven, and... This was pretty challenging, especially since a lot of the staff that um, I actually had were anywhere between ages of 40 and 50, and here I am, some 20-something. I was actually 20 at the time I was was a shift manager. So I never realized before I took the position. Now, I, I was fighting for that position, just fighting, 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 but I wasn't really, didn't really understand... Uh, more of what was involved when I had actually uh, been given the position. And it required a lot of work, three times harder than whatever I was doing. And also, I had to tell these 40-something-year-olds what to do, and they did not like that. Just as any 40-year-old would not want a 20-year-old telling them what to do or be their boss. That is not something I even considered because, of course, I was 20-something. But I had worked very hard to get into the position that I was in. I thought that I had what it took. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was perfect for that job because I worked very hard. Technically, if there was anything that was hindering me on getting that position, there was only one thing it would have been, and that was my age, and there was nothing that I could do about that. Okay, that's what my brain was telling me at the time. So there really wasn't any reason why I couldn't accept this position. I had just never fully wrapped my head around telling the 40-year-old what to do. I didn't see any point in it. They were pretty good at their job. They had been there longer than I was. And I certainly didn't need to tell a 40-something-year-old that he had to put away the frozen goods or that he had to stock the cooler. They already knew what they had to do. And besides, I was a benefit to them. Nobody liked running the register except for me. I would run it all day. And if somebody called in for a shift that they couldn't complete, I was the one fulfilling it. So there were often days I was working 16 hours a day. It wasn't pleasant. But this isn't about me or my struggles or the job that I did. This is about a guy that came in on a regular basis who actually, I'm really glad that he he was a part of my world at that point in time. But I'm also going to tell you why I'm talking about this story, because I, I realize how fragile and how short life actually is. To be quite blunt, Scotty was the guy who'd come in in the morning, afternoon, evenings. It didn't really matter. Scotty just came in when he needed to come in. Now, Scotty was a special case because Scotty was known as the town drunk. And then I was told by my manager that we weren't supposed to kick him out. Just let him come in, let him do his thing, and let him leave. So I had no problem with that. And actually, I watched the manager interact with him, and he was quite pleasant. So this kind of set the tone for the the store, where when Scotty came in, I I went out of my way to be nice to this guy. Uh, If he wanted coffee, I'd give him coffee. If he wanted soda, I'd just give him soda. I treated him as well as I did the cops who were actually working the circuit at the time. And I just treated him extra special. So I just had it that I was going to be extra nice to this guy because he was living a pretty hard life. And I don't think that he bought his beer there because I'm trying to want, I'm trying to remember if our store actually sold beer or not. I'm not even quite sure if we sold beer. While he was a town drunk, I'm not quite sure if he bought beer there because I don't think we sold it. And we didn't have pumps there. We were busy a busy enough store to where we could just sell groceries. And that's what we did. And we were busy enough to where we didn't even need to consider fuel. 
we didn't need to consider alcohol. I remember, though, we did sell cigarettes, so of course I did have to card for those, but everything else was uh, pretty much on the up and up. We were, we were pretty much a grocery store. So, um, actually, I think a grocery store holds more, but, you know, this was the convenience store where on Capitol Hill area in Denver, there there's not a grocery store around for several miles, so that's why we were kind of, the 7-Elevens there were kind of the main hubs of the inner city areas. So every day I would see Scotty. If I didn't see Scotty, I was kind of wondering if I should call the cops because Scotty didn't show up. It was almost like he was the unofficial employee. But it also helped set the stage of how we actually treated everybody else too because people saw how we treated Scotty. They knew we would treat them good as well. So Scotty, who was probably, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years older than I was, would come in, you know, and he he looked scuffly like he hadn't slept well the night before. Not quite sure when he took his last shower. Of course, we weren't there to patrol his hygienic needs. Although we did ask if he was all right and if he ate that day. But other than that, we just kind of left Scotty to do what Scotty wanted to do. So I'm not quite sure how long he was a regular at that store, but it was quite a while. Um, However, there were days I wondered where he slept and how he ate, usually, if he stayed at his shelter or, or what. And he was very vague about a lot of things, but when he came in, he was always cheery. He always wanted to greet us. He... He, he made it his duty to actually come in and check on us, too. So he really enjoyed his, his company. But this also goes uh, a little bit for humanity and, and just being kind to one another. It's something that I don't really see a lot of nowadays. But we totally served our community, and there's a lot of ways that we did that. Another way that we did it is we actually considered ourselves a police substation. So if the police department came in, we gave them whatever they wanted. If they wanted donuts, we'd give them donuts. If they wanted a sandwich, we'd give them a sandwich. If they just wanted hot coffee or soda, we gave that to them. And the reason why we did is because they knew that they came to us, they could get a free meal, but also it would actually help us with the presence in the community, which was a very rough neighborhood. So it did help, at least, when the police actually showed up at least once a day to actually check in on the store, or sometimes even twice or three times, just to make sure that the night shift actually had the security that they actually needed. Many times they would be there for several hours, and then they would go on about their patrol. So they they came in to do paperwork, and we were perfectly fine with that. So back to Scotty. I was hearing all kinds of weird things about Scotty. One was that he was actually a former business owner and that after his brother actually died, that he just kind of lost his mind and he ended up becoming homeless after that. Now losing a loved one is a tragedy within itself. So I actually felt genuinely sorry for this guy. Pity, compassion. And as a matter of fact, I didn't see this guy as being harmful. He was harmless. He just didn't have the same things the rest of us had. Being 20 years old at the time, I really didn't know how to help this guy out more than what I was doing. I was talking to him. I was treating him as I would anybody else, if not better. I was feeding him on occasion and... He, he got free coffee whenever he came in. So um, I treated this guy well. Didn't really know his background story too much, except for what I was actually told that he might have been like a business, a successful business owner at one time. So normally he came in all scruffy and dirty, like he hadn't taken a shower in a while. And then he disappeared for a month. And everybody was wondering, what happened to Scotty? What happened to Scotty? Well, then he reappeared. Only this time when he reappeared, he was in fresh clothes. He was clean. He was clean-shaven. He looked like a totally different dude. 
this old man actually looked like a human being again. It was awesome. And so we asked him, well, where, where have you been? And well, come to find out, he ended up in a, a rehabilitation center for alcoholics and he cleaned himself up and he was very proud of himself. He had goals and he had dreams and aspirations and that was great. And then he'd disappear for a week and then he'd come back and then you'd see the scruffiness again and you see the hair growing out and, you know, like he hadn't taken a shower, etc. And every week after week after week, we'd see this going on. And we still took care of Scotty when he came in. He, he uh, had it good for a little while and then he was back out on the streets once again. He had tried applying for jobs and just couldn't catch on to that job, that job opportunity. And so he was back to square one once again. And then he was drinking again and, of course, going through the same routine. And we always take care of Scotty because now we, we wanted success for him. But even if we couldn't find success for him, we'd always help him with at least some basic needs. And in a way, it was our store actually giving back to our community. It was helping those less fortunate. And we were very big about that. So I really liked the atmosphere that we had actually created within the store and within the community. I still had these stinker old men, though, that would give me the the strange eye if I told them, hey, this needs to get stocked. So I kind of kept it to a, a very low minimum and I did extra work so they wouldn't have to. Because after all, I did want that title of, as manager, shift manager. And so a lot, a lot of times when you take on that title, there's a lot of extra responsibility you have to do that you're not necessarily getting paid for, but you do it for the benefit of the crew. So again, this went on for several months where he was coming in and getting food and we were giving him coffee and we treated him well each and every time he came in. And then he would disappear off the map again. Then we'd find out that he was in drug rehab. And then he would start coming into our store and the whole thing started over again. So we just knew that this was a pattern. But then it started getting me thinking. So what, did the alcoholism come first? And then the homelessness? Or did the homelessness homelessness happen first? And then the despair and then the alcoholism? So that has always been a question in my mind, why certain people start habits and then perhaps go into rehab to actually clean themselves up. If they started out an alcoholic and just fell into poverty, or if they were already in poverty and fell into helplessness and then started drinking. See, now that was the question I had in my early 20s. And I think I got my answer the first time I got divorced. Because when I when I got divorced, well, I shouldn't even say I was divorced. I was separated. When I was separated back in 2009, I actually fell in despair. And when I fell in despair, I actually started drinking. And the drinking was to try to end the despair. And then I saw the pattern. It's if I kept drinking then I would end up in the same place as Scotty was and I certainly didn't want to go there so I think what I fell into back in 2009 and of course the economy was crashing all around me anyways housing prices were actually dropping like you wouldn't believe we were going through our economic bubble at the time and everybody thought that the world was going to end at the period of time just kind of like now everybody thinks the world's going to end 11 years later but um, I fell into the drinking pattern. Uh, one is my all my coworkers drank at the time. And of course, I wasn't working at 7-Eleven at the time. It was a different job. And that's just what we did is we went to the bars and we drank on the weekends. We got to know each other really well. And drinking just became part of our social re- routine. I don't think I would have picked up the drinking if I wasn't separated from my husband at the time. But... That's what he wanted, so that's probably the reason why I started drinking. Now, I ended up stopping that six months later because I don't really like drinking. That's the good news. But if I did like drinking, probably would not have ended so pleasantly. Now, back to Scotty. So, I don't know which came first. If it was the 
depression from his 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 brother dying and then he started drinking or if he was already an alcoholic and he used and him and his brother were financial supports for each other and then when that fell through he just lost it because he didn't have the other half of that financial success but one day he walked in this is after being in rehab again and he's dressed in a three-piece suit and his hair is trimmed back and I, i'm thinking this guy's getting married this guy is like dressed to the nines i couldn't believe it i mean this guy looked like he was dressed for a wedding or a funeral or some kind of major event so of course i was my breath was taken away and i'm like scotty i have never seen you looking so magnificent in your whole entire life I'm absolutely blown away. Who are you? I mean, you kind of look like Scotty, but I'm not quite sure if you're Scotty or not. And he chuckled and he said he went through the through the alcohol rehab again and that he's a changed man. I'm like, of course, Scotty, of course. You know, of course I want to believe in the people who come into the store and are my friends. And I considered him a friend. I mean, we didn't hang out together or anything, but he came into the store often enough to where I didn't have to see him on a personal basis he came into the store everybody got to see Scotty but of course it was just part of the routine he was going through where he was going through sobriety and then he'd go through alcoholism and then sobriety again and then alcoholism and it was a continuous pattern for him that he probably felt helpless to get out of or didn't know how to get get help the help that he needed or maybe the fact that there wasn't really any help out there. See, a lot of times people fix the surface of something, of something, but they don't fix the root cause. And so that that person is going to consistently fall through those cracks until that void is actually filled. And they're doing the best that they can to actually maintain um, a sense of dignity, a sense of ownership and pride and unfortunately it it was working for for scotty for a little bit of time but then he'd fall into the same old patterns and i think that's a lot of where alcoholism comes in and i guess there's many people that have that go through that pattern and it's not that anybody doesn't care because there are people who actually do care they just feel powerless and, and helpless on how to actually fix and resolve the situation So sometimes you just don't know the full story. And I think that in this particular case, I just didn't know the full story. And so I've always had a question mark on my mind, like, what is it that this guy actually went through? And I think I went as far and as deep as I possibly could, being the age that I was. But I always wonder if there was an additional step of caring that I could have actually done for Scotty, such as reaching out to friends or family to see if there was anybody who could help him. But at the same time, I know he had friends, he had family, he had influence. But my other question was, was why were they turning their backs on him? He was a really decent guy. He was an awesome guy. Every time he came in the store, he was always polite. He never raised his temper. He never took anything that belonged that didn't belong to him. He always asked for everything. He was he was a guy who you'd have a conversation with and he was actually very pleasant to talk to. And then there's two types of people that are going to judge Scotty based off of his character. There are going to be the people who look at his family and say, Well, I wonder why you're avoiding Scotty. Is there something that I need to avoid about him too? I think I'm going to avoid him too. There must be something really wrong with him. Or there's the other people are going to look past that and say, you know what? There's something really wrong about his family because his family does not see that this poor guy is suffering. This poor guy is hurting. And why are they allowing him to wander around on the streets as if he has no family? This was a very important lesson to me because it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It does not mean that your friends and family are going to be there to catch you. 
now that I'm older and now that I'm wire, wiser, I was going to say wire, but wiser, I meant wiser, I'm actually infuriated by this. Denver, Colorado is a very cold place in the wintertime. This is not a safe place. Denver, Colorado, where I was living, was probably the most crime-infested places I have ever been to in America. And here this guy, this poor guy is, wandering the streets in the cold, trying to keep warm, barely moving. I know that he has friends and family out there, at least he did when he was a business person and he had influence, but now it's like everybody's dead to him or something. I mean, what is wrong with the people that turn their backs on people? So I had heard that Scotty used to sleep behind the buildings, and I lived fairly close to the 7-Eleven, where it only took me maybe five minutes to walk there. So I was pretty keen on which buildings actually had side alleys and such. And I always swore if I saw him in the back alley in the middle of the wintertime, I was going to have him at least come into my building so that he could actually sleep where it was warm. Because I could not stand the thought that he might be out in one of the alleys suffering from the cold. But the thing is, is I never saw him. So I guess he was sleeping somewhere, but I'm not quite sure where. And it's really unfortunate that uh, the government hasn't set up programs to at least help some of these people out because a lot of times they need assistance. There's other things going on there. There's underlying causes and nobody deserves either, either whether it be a pet or a human being or a child or an adult or anybody, an elderly person, they don't need to be suffering in the elements like that. Caring and compassion can go a long way. Sometimes you have to bend the rules just a little bit just for that caring and compassion. So the thing was, for instance, if I would have seen him out in the cold, out in the alley, I would have invited him into my apartment building so he could at least stay warm. Unfortunately, never saw him. But this is what else is highly disturbing at this point. I had been a shift manager at this store location for about a year. And it was actually about um, almost a year into it when we got word that Scotty died. They say he had a bottle of booze on him. And he was out in the alley and he passed away in his sleep because he froze to death. This has haunted and disturbed me since it happened over 20 years ago. The same kind of coldness and carelessness still exists in our society today and probably will long after I'm gone. One of the problems that I have seen behind some of these sobriety clinics and some of these drug rehab places is the fact that they'll take you in if you're a drug addict. They'll take you in if you're an alcoholic. But they will not take you in if, um, if you don't have drugs, a drug problem, or an alcohol problem. They won't take you in. So you're basically on your own if you're clean and sober. And when you're clean and sober, they just automatically assume all these jobs are going to be flying to hire you so that you can start paying rent and not have to worry about being homeless. But this is not the case. Basically what happens to the homeless is you're either on your own, uh, living out of a car or a uh, mobile home or, you know, some kind of shelter that you've made for yourself. I've even seen people sleep under trees. Or you're going to be like, for instance, you're going to play the role of a drug addict, or you're going to play the role of an alcoholic so that you can actually have shelter, or you're going to play the role of a crazy person so that you can have shelter. These are not acceptable forms of uh, shelter, as far as I'm concerned. Even mothers who have children have options of shelter. They have the domestic violence shelter, or they're chosen into shelters first before everyone else. 
So basically, if you don't have any kids, you don't have anywhere to sleep because they don't have room for you because they're too busy trying to provide beds for these women who have kids. And one of the things that I have seen, for instance, in the Idaho Falls area, and actually uh, Idaho in general, uh, Twin Falls as well, that fall into this category, is they don't have room for single people. So single people are pretty much on their own. Hopefully they have friends that they can stay with, because if they don't, they don't have shelter. They're just out in the elements. Hopefully they have a car, because that's the only thing that's going to help them out. So one of the things that I've experienced with some of my friends is um, if they were single, they either they didn't have a job or let's say they had a very low paying job is they had to play the role of an alcoholic, a drug addict or a crazy person just to find shelter. I find that completely unacceptable because you're taking somebody trashing the reputation just so they can find shelter or even prison, the prison system. They're committing committing petty crimes just so they can go to jail, just so they have a roof over their head. This is unacceptable because then you're taking away their housing as well. You're taking away rightful housing that could be there to restore their dignity and to get them on the right track. But instead, you want to criminalize and penalize these people as being the scourge of society just because they don't make the big bucks. In the past year, I've actually paid attention to the shelters that uh, they actually have throughout the country. And they're closing them in record numbers right now. Um, There was a Manhattan project, as a matter of fact, where they were supposed to open up a shelter last night for those in uh, the New York area. They have this building all ready to go for the homeless shelter. And the next thing you know, that very night, because they were going to open it up the next day, they actually privately sold it to somebody else. So they basically, they basically sold out this homeless shelter to a private buyer. And the place that was going to open this place up is a homeless shelter to, to house thousands of people fell through. So now these people in the dead of winter who have nowhere to go all because of greed and their bottom line is where money actually went out over human decency. Society does not need to traumatize society. We are only as great as our weakest link. And if you destroy that link, You're a horrible person. Sorry, but you are. So to that private buyer who actually bought out that section of land that was actually dedicated to those homeless people, you suck. I just want you to know that. You really suck. I'm not even on that side of the country. And I'm going to tell you, you suck. When it came out in the news that you actually bought that homeless shelter and made thousands of people homeless, you became the dirtbag of society. Money was not designed for you to have more power. Money was designed to help people out. The backbone of our society was to be a Christian society, was to make sure we all had something. I'm not talking about communism here. I'm talking about human decency. See, it's bad enough to live in a shelter. There's no privacy. But at least you have a roof over your head. At least you're safe for now. But when we're talking about homeless people, we're talking about your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. We're talking about all kinds of innocent people who haven't done anything wrong to you. But now you're going to boot them out into the cold. Now don't get me wrong. We don't need communism in this country. We do not need to make sure that everybody across the board is making $20,000 a year and no more and no less than that. And they got to try to manage off of $20,000 to raise their families. I'm not talking about that. Communism is a type of evil that even the great Lord himself would never tolerate. The problem with communism and the problem with everybody being the same is you can't take that extra generosity that God gave you and actually spread it out to where you're actually benefiting another human being.
the problem with people who chase money and the problem with people who chase uh, power is greed. And there's no satisfaction for that greed, for that money, for that power. You always want more and more and more. And you will take and you will take and you will take because you never have enough. You might even think you deserve it. You deserve that $8 million yacht or $80 million, I should say. I don't know how much yachts are going for nowadays, but I'm sure they're a lot of money. You don't need that personal yacht. You don't need that personal island. You don't need that stuff. What you need to do is you need to give it away. You need to give it to people who need it. You need to be charitable so you can keep your capitalism. I'm not talking about you being charitable to keep your communism. We don't want communism in this country. We don't want socialism. What we do want to do is lift up our neighbors and be good to them. That's what being kind is about. Now, in my life, I've had things. I've had things because I've had money to buy things. I've had gold rings and I've had gold necklaces. And I've had silver and I've had copper and I've had every type of semi-precious stone you could ever imagine. I love geology and I love gemology. Gemology is amazing. But these things you can't take with you when you die. They're just things. They're just precious things to look at. A lot of times you'll look, you know, you'll, you'll look at them in the store, you'll admire it, you'll buy it if you have the money to do that. You, you uh, get the package in the mail, you get the item, you look at it, it's a pretty shiny object, and the next thing you want to do is, the first thing you want to do is hide it, because you don't want anybody else to take your, your precious, shiny, silvery object, your gold object. The one thing I've noticed about the whole process of buying these nice, shiny items is the actual process of being able to achieve that and to buy it. But then you go on from rubies to diamonds to emeralds to gold to silver to copper to platinum to palladium to whatever you can get your hands on. And then when you get all of that instead of giving it away, then you got to get bigger ones. Now you need the biggest ruby you can find or the biggest diamond you can find or the biggest piece of malachite or the deepest color, or the lightest color, and it just continues on and on and on and on and on, because it's just greed. It's just greed and appeasing to your appetite. Okay, but I, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I think you get the bigger picture on this, okay? So things are just things. You can't take them when you die. But what you can do is you can take memories with you. One of the most precious precious things I can take with me is my knowledge and what I've learned in school. These are things that cannot be taken away from me. Well, you know, God forbid Alzheimer's or dementia, but these are things that are always with you. Your education, your philosophy, your view on religion, um, your art, artistic ability, your musical talent, your voice. I mean, you could even lose your instruments or your musical voice, but um, you could even lose how to, uh, I don't know, uh, spell check correctly, which I have seen a lot online, by the way. But knowledge really is power. So the more you learn about a certain subject, the more power you have over that. And uh, as for the gems and the treasures of this world, those are only temporary. And sometimes you can just look at a magazine and see a picture of something and actually be satisfied with that. So you don't have to actually possess it or own it. So I know, I know, this story, what does this have to do with diabetes? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, except for the fact that, you know, Scotty could have been a diabetic. I have no idea. I mean, you know, getting back to Scotty, um, he could have been many things. He could have been schizophrenic, which I don't think. He, he seemed very average to me. The only thing that I saw that was different between Scotty and anybody else was an economic advantage. I always wondered, if I gave Scotty a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, would it change the way Scotty was? Well, maybe he'd still be an alcoholic, but at least now he could actually afford a roof over his head. And how many alcoholics anyways are actually 
you know, semi-functional and they actually have a house to live in and they don't have to worry about homelessness. I mean, being homeless is a very hard life and I hope people understand that. Being homeless is not easy. What you're going to eat for the day, what you're going to drink, all of these are day trips. Just taking a shower is is a super effort at times. I mean, just think, I wonder where a homeless person uses the restroom. I wonder how they take a shower, if they take a shower at all. How do they shave? I mean, obviously, in Scotty's case, I guess it was a blessing for him to be an alcoholic in a way, a blessing and a curse, because at least on occasion, he actually had the rehab center where he could actually dry himself out, take a shower, eat a warm meal, have a roof over his head, and actually live like a human being once in a while. But no human being should actually have to live like that, ever. We're in a society where that is just not, well, one, it's not acceptable to live like that, but two, if you pull the rug out from underneath somebody enough times, where you don't give them the opportunity to actually make a living for themselves, they condition themselves to the society that they're put in. So Scotty may have been put in the situation to where, you know, he couldn't work a job because, you know, he couldn't take a shower that day and he felt pretty hopeless because it was a day and a half just to travel across, uh, I, I don't know, um, Denver just to take a shower and the other half of the day to get a hot meal to eat. And so when we're constantly pulling the rug out from these people and not giving them a job and not doing nice things for them, it's a hardship. I mean, we can easily shave off 20 years off of somebody's life by doing that. When, let's say somebody actually stepped in and gave them a place for a month, or what, give them a year for goodness sakes, okay? It's like, okay, here's the place for a year. It's time for you to get your stuff together, really sharpen your image up. Here's a car. I'm gonna let you borrow this for a year get going, get yourself a job, because it's hard enough getting a job as it is right now anyways, for just a normal person. Can you imagine somebody who's having uh, difficulties with other things just because they don't have access to those, those tools that they need? I mean, come on, this is getting a bit ridiculous. And the thing is, is that they've done study after study after study where people were just one paycheck away to homelessness. So anybody could have been in Scotty's position where that rug was pulled out from underneath them. And then when you think about it, let's say you have that rug pulled out from underneath you, but you find a mediocre job that's paying $50 a day, but your motel bill's 60. So you're $10 short from actually having a motel room. So you're saying, okay, well, I don't have a place to stay, but at least I have food And at least I have liquor because I really need to drown myself in liquor because I'm homeless now. So this is a paradox that we're in where there's not enough provided, there's not enough tools provided to the people who do need it, who do work, let alone for those who can't work because they are facing a disability such as a drug or alcohol dependency. Or perhaps, let me add, Somebody who has uh, medical difficulties, this is where diabetes is going to come in. Because diabetes, having diabetes is not cheap. For instance, uh, I had to buy I had to buy those boots the other day. Those boots that have the little massaging things in them. Because I couldn't feel my left foot. I, I was a little bit tired of not being able to feel my left foot. You know, those boots cost me, you know, they held me back about $15. And then I had to buy my medications that day. One pill bottle came up to $27. The other one was $15. Not expensive on medications, but if you're only making like $50 a day, that's really expensive. That means you're not, like, let's say you're homeless. That means you're not going to stay in um, a motel that night. Okay, so when we break it down to basics, about the only way a person who's homeless can get ahead is if they actually partner up with somebody, get a roommate, and that's if the roommate can talk, to- excuse me, if that's the roommate can tolerate them, and um, a lot of times there's difficulties there pairing up people with the same conditions because they don't have the same conditions, they live different lifestyles. 
very difficult. Now I've talked to some of these counselors such as the ones at a crisis center because I did have a friend who I was helping out and she was allowed to stay at this crisis center for a period of time. And so I was kind of wondering what they actually did to actually help her out because she just ended up in the same situation she was in before. And I'm like, well, I'm scratching my head here. I'm like, well, this is a crisis center. I wonder what they do. Well, it's just a temporary help place. I mean, they suggest counselors and stuff, but you know, with her being homeless, they can't really do anything. It's, it's all about the uh, basic needs. You have to take care of your basic needs before they can actually help you out and find out what's wrong with you. So, I mean, if your basic needs aren't met, you're just screwed. Sorry, I said screwed on, on the air, but, you know, it's the reality of it. But I was going over all this paperwork they'd given her, and none of the resources that they gave her were doing her any good. She had to leave the, the facility, and um, so I'm, I'm, like, panicking. I'm, like, wondering what they're going to do with her and stuff. But, see, uh, the thing with her is that she actually had... Um, another program that actually helped her out luckily she fell into that because she was a former felon and uh so of course they helped her out and i'm here thinking good thing she's a felon because otherwise if she was not a felon there's no programs to help out normal people they don't have the normal person society like i said they only help out felons or alcoholics or drug addicts if you're normal you're just you're out of luck they automatically assume your family cares so And your family may just hate you just because you're homeless and and you're an embarrassment to them. So, um, it's kind of sad the way that you see the world because there's a lot of good people out there who are homeless, who are suffering. Um, you know, of course, Scotty, the the guy that I actually gave you, that I actually gave a name to, he has passed off, which is the reason why I'm using his name. But there are a lot of good people out there. They, They don't do anything bad they're not alcoholics they're not drug addicts they may not have any friends because they're uh loners or what they now call introverts which i don't think anybody should be labeled an introvert or an extrovert because i think you can be both and they may just only have certain friends that are similar to them and then of course things happen like people pass on and then these people have nobody um they don't have their churches really to go to anymore they don't really have the people that they were the closest to anymore um and it's a total misconception that churches help out anybody because they don't help out anybody uh, there might be certain individuals that do that, that are, are good and charitable people, but to actually burden those those good people with that responsibility is kind of irresponsible. So we all need to take a part as society to help people out. And we don't need to wait until we're as rich as Donald Trump to help some of these people out. We can each do our individual part. If you can't afford to shelter a homeless person you know what come up with the money to at least take them to lunch and you know don't just give them the money to take lunch even though that is okay you can give them the money let them spin on whatever they want to you know 10 bucks here you go sorry i can't eat lunch with you today but here's 10 dollars. do what you need to do with it because you know what that 10 dollars is going to mean a lot to them a lot more than nothing so um trust the process and what they're going to do with it because when I give somebody $10, I don't care what they're doing with that $10. I'm giving them some generosity is what I'm doing. I don't have the money to clothe them. I don't have the money to put a roof over their head. But I may at least have the money to feed them and they can eat whatever they want. They don't have to eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I have in my bag. So um, that's for me. But here's $10 so you can go sit in a nice, warm, or air-conditioned restaurant and feed yourself. I want you to eat. I want, I want to give something. I want to sacrifice something for you. Because I know you have it far worse than I do. So, or you know what? 
let's say you've known this lady or this guy for 20 plus years and you find out that they went to jail. It doesn't matter what they went to jail for, prison for. It doesn't matter. How were they when they, when you knew them? Were they good to you? Now they're sitting in jail? Write them. Write them a letter. Send them a card. Let them know they're not forgotten. These people do not need to be forgotten in jail or in prison. We don't know their whole situation. They could have been through the ringer with a relative. Relatives get greedy, and not everybody who has money is a good person, okay? So um, there's other stories I could say, but those people are still alive. I'll have to wait until... I, I mean, never tell the story. It depends who dies first. If they don't die, then I can't tell the story, so I'm not going to... But I'll use hypothetical people. So hypothetically speaking, and I mean this is based off of a true story, but I'm not going to say who. But I know somebody who is actually, not in my family, mind you. We didn't do this, but there are other family members. This does happen a lot. You hear about it all the time. Where people argue and contest wills. And there's people fighting for, for dominion over that and doing really shady, horrible, awful things in order to control power or uh, to gain the money because they feel that they deserve it more than the other person does. Where one person gets all the money, but the other person does not. I mean, some horrible things happen with wills, okay? So, um, generally speaking, people can become homeless overnight because of wills. Uh, people who've had security in uh, certain houses all their lives it suddenly ripped away from them. I've known that to happen many times, by the way. That happens a lot. Um, so these people can end up homeless and feel desperation. They could have, they could be sitting on top of the world, and you know what they say: the higher up you are, the harder you fall. And these people could have been the nicest people in the world. And that's how they were taken advantage of. And you'd never know it. Because all you see is the homeless person wandering around like they haven't got a clue. Because they're still reeling from that. I mean, it's very traumatic for them. It's not fair to them. And you know, I'm a tad bit passionate about this because I've known people in the situation... I've also known dirty louses to actually do this to people. And, uh, of course, after they do the dirty deed, you know, they act like nothing's wrong and they deserved it. And the only thing they deserve is a hot pit in hell. Um, but then, then things happen to these good people. These good people end up in jail or they become drug addicts or alcoholics. And it's not fair. There's a lot of good people. Now, I'm not saying that there's not bad people, too. But for me, personally, it's not my, it's not my right to judge that person. Uh, because I don't know what kind of situation they were in. Or sometimes I do know what their situation is. I'm still going to help them out. So please, um, communicate with these people. Write them. Let them know that they're loved. You know, show that kindness. I can guarantee you, if you do that, it's going to benefit you more than the recipient. Now, they're going to just absolutely love you and adore you to death for actually contacting them because they may have written you off a long time ago just because you took too many napkins at the company picnic or something weird like that, right? But the thing is, is they're going to look at you in a whole new light and what they did and go, oh my gosh, I was so wrong about you. You're so amazing. So you can become their number one fan really fast, right? And two, people don't, hopefully, <laughs> they don't anyways, remain in those situations forever. And um, not only can you be a shining light in their darkness, but in your time of need, they could be a shining light in yours because they're going to remember that you were the only person that had their back in the end, even though they had like hundreds of friends. And they always thought that they were covered in case something like this happened and they're going to find out that they don't have any friends. And then, then here you come along. You, you wrote them off a long time ago. And you're there to save the day like a knight in shining armor or something. You know, this is how people become number one in other people's lives. So, um, anyways, I, you know, of course, this episode was dedicated to Scotty. He was a real human being. 
Um, he was cherished. He was homeless. He went through a lot. I know that he's been he's been the businessman where he had money and he had a house and everything and then he lost everything because his brother was number one to him and that's how much he meant to him and really oddly enough everybody should be number one to somebody and have that kind of camaraderie dedication and then when you lose somebody lose somebody you love like that Everyone should know what that feels like. So, because that's how you'd want to be remembered. So, Scotty was was my friend. He wasn't like my number one person or anything of that nature because um, I did have a boyfriend at the time, you know. And Scotty was never in that category. This is platonic friendship type deal, like what I had with a lot of my customers. So I was really surprised he made that kind of an impact on me. But it really made me think a lot about his life and reflect on his life and how I treat others. And I'm so proud of myself for treating him like the real human, decent human being that he is. And I'm especially proud of my manager, Roy, who was the person who originally hired me on for that job, for teaching me that. Because if he wouldn't have taught me how to respect somebody in that position... I wouldn't be the person I am today and I'm humbled and and I'm saying this podcast with a deep amount of gratitude on Thanksgiving Day mind you my third podcast for today um, which is kind of unusual but I felt that this was more important than actually delivering pies so uh, there's always that so I'm probably going to go out and deliver pies now but I just wanted to share that on this beautiful Thanksgiving Day. And so if you're listening today on Thanksgiving, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving once again. God bless you. Be nice to each other. Be kind. And this has been Margaret Frank- Coatman Frankowitz on the Diabetes Channel. <laughs> and have a great night. Bye-bye.